All right, well, good morning, everyone. Morning. It's great to have you all here. Just want to welcome you guys to the discipleship counseling class. Uh, so glad, ultimately, you guys are here. Uh, biblical counseling, discipleship counseling is a vital part, really, of our own Christian lives as we speak truth in our hearts, but also, too, in our ministries. All, all of us okay, are counselors, certainly, and so it's, this ministry is vital in the life of our church, our families, our home as well, too. I know that there's a lot of different people okay, represented in our class as well, too. You know, maybe some are taking it just for personal reasons. They want to grow personally. Maybe some of you guys want to sharpen your ministries. Maybe you're a partner's leader or something like that. Or maybe even there's uh, those of you who want to be involved formally okay, in the counseling ministry. And this class really is, is for everybody. And so just really thankful uh, that you guys can ultimately be here. And again, we're all counselors. And so hopefully this class will be an encouragement and a help you know, in whatever stage, ministry, etc. God has you in right now. I want to introduce to you guys Steve Armstrong. I think most of you guys know who he is. Uh, he serves on our church staff, leads administration. So most of the stuff that happens uh, very smoothly and wonderfully around our church campus, of course, uh, he's responsible for. And uh, we're really thankful for his help, too. It is certainly a privilege and has been hugely encouraging for me as I meet with so many different individuals and also to need to train counselors. He's been overseeing a lot of the training and helping me to facilitate a lot of those counselors who are wanting to get equipped and trained and finalize all the process that comes along with that. Uh, usually he's going to start us off each time that we come together with some announcements. He'll greet us, do some announcements and pray. And so let me welcome him up for those announcements today. All right. I have a time limit, he said, so <laughs> we'll get right to it. So if you haven't, first of all, we, we accepted folks from the wait list, but that means now every seat is almost filled. So if you have a seat next to you, crunch up because we're going to need the space because especially as choir people come in. So if you can um, raise your hand and say, I have a seat because there's some people in the back that need a place to sit. So that'd be helpful. Thank you. Um, the next thing is refreshments. Hopefully you're enjoying them. In most Sunday school classes, you have round tables and nice to be able to lay out. Well, we don't have that luxury here, so we have to kind of balance your notebook and your food together. But nonetheless, we do like the food. So we're going to have this refreshment schedule go around, and it's a little bit different than most because you're not signing up for a specific day. It's a signing up for a day you're not going to be here. In other words, I need to know when you're not going to be here, and then we'll send you, here's, your, here's, here's when you're going to be here's when you're going to be here and what you're going to deliver that day. There's going to be three different things, as you saw out there, fruit, meats, and sweets that are out there. So basically, just take the highlighter, highlight your name, saying, yes, I saw this page, and I'm available all the time. Don't mark anything. If you are not going to be here, you know those dates, mark those on there. If you don't know, just give a couple weeks that you don't know so we can not schedule you, and you'll see that schedule come through. I'll give it to everybody, as well as um, you'll give an automatic reminder from community that, hey, you're up this week, so you'll get that automatic reminder. I'm going to start this down here, and if we can just go back and forth, and when it gets to the back, then um, you can get to the other side. That would be helpful. Thank you. Don't forget to highlight your name so we know that you've seen it. Um, the next thing is the class website. There is a class website. There's not much on it yet because there's going to be video, audio, all the notes. And those who like taking electronic notes, like Word or PDF, those will also be on there so you can download them. I'll try to get them up that week before so you have them available and you can take notes electronically if you so desire. But that's where they will be on the website. I'll give that link out either later this afternoon or first thing in the morning. We're trying to get the videos up by 
<laughs> Monday morning. Um, latest Tuesday morning will be when we have those up for you to, to consider. Also, there will also be announcements on the um, website as well for different things coming up. Um, so um, on your notebook, did anybody get a notebook without any content? Oh, you're the lucky one. You get to bring all the food next week. No, that's not. Um, <laughs> um, if you do, Julie, right up, right up front over here. <laughs> yeah, no, no there's, no, there's only like five pages right now. No, this is the whole semester is in these five sheets. That's, no, um, every week we'll be giving those to you, and we'll try to get those uploaded, like I said, onto the website, but we'll, we're refreshing those. But on the first one, you'll see this graphic. You probably received some of that in the email. Some of you received a different one as well, which is a little larger, and it's more detailed. And that's for the ones that are actually going through the ACBC um, certification. There's a handful doing that. And so, a, so if you see that, don't worry. This is the one you need to be on. And um, just so you know, there's, there's a difference on that. Um, attendance, we're also doing something a little bit new. Usually we do it on a paper and then someone has to collect all those papers and try to decipher names and try to decipher who that was and then try to do attendance. We're going to use an iPad and it has list. You just scroll down and find your name, pick the box, hand it on to the next person. That's pretty simple. And um, the only problem is, is if it goes to sleep, you'll need my face to unlock it. So that's a, that's a little bit of a problem there. So keep it moving so it doesn't go to sleep. Um, and if perchance this, um, this screen that looks pretty simple, straightforward, the names, you can search your name at the top, you just pick on the right-hand side your box and you're passing on to the next person. It's pretty straightforward. But if it goes to another screen like, what in the world is this? I don't know what to do with that. On the bottom left side, there's little double heads. This says groups. You pick on the group and it goes right back to that, to that where it needs to be in case someone hits their thumb on there. So we're going to give this a try. If you have any problem, I'll be in the back over there doing slides, and Julie will be back there, too, and we can help you sort this out. But we're going to try this and see how this works. If it doesn't, we'll go back to paper. But we're going to have to try this to make things a little more efficient. So I'll start it over here. Same thing. If we can wind it back and forth, that'd be great. If you do not find your name, come see me afterwards on there. Um, that was the attendance. Um, last thing I had on my list was the ACBC conference. is going to be in Fort Worth this year. And that's the national conference. And I encourage you to go if you can, because it's local. You don't have to worry about all the hotels and everything else. But it's on October 7th and 9th. But more importantly, is at the end of this month, in fact, the 30th, not the 31st, it goes up on the 31st. So don't wait till the end of the month thinking I have the end of the month. It's actually the 30th is the last day. 31st, it goes up in price. So this is the break they have right now. So you can get on and just look up ACBC National Conference 2024, and you'll see you can sign up on there but the prices go up on the 30th, so. What's that? Yeah, Tom is speaking at this conference as well. Should be pretty good. It's on, um, um, let's see what I have here. The topic is on the care of Christ, examining how the wonderful counselor provides a complete model of counseling and care for the and Christian. So, should be a really good topic as well. We were gonna do a Q&A, but I think we're gonna, we're gonna march through, and if you have any questions, especially, I know there's, there's some, Cluginess around how we're doing the certification piece of it and who's in that class and who's not and how that's the wait list now, what does that look like? I think I answered most of the questions, but if there's any questions, I'll be here after. I'll be in the back. Um, Daniel will be here too, and we can answer some of those questions for you, okay? And hopefully in the future we might have some more time to answer some more questions, just generally administrative things that are there. So, Daniel. Thank you.
Well, I thought I'd start off this morning, not by jumping into our notes right away, but just by introducing myself a little bit. I know that I know most of you guys, but at a church the size of ours, a lot of times just getting to know each other personally is, is uh, missed. Okay? It's, uh, so I just thought I'd just give a, just a quick testimony how I came to know the Lord, but also, too, uh, how I got interested in biblical counseling and just, you know, how I came to countryside, all that good stuff, my family. So I, just real quick, background, I was born in East Texas, if you guys know where Tyler is, that's where I was born and raised for the most part. My parents took me to church growing up, but uh, we didn't talk so much in the home about Christ. My parents divorced when I was about 11 years old, something somewhere around in there, and didn't go to church uh, from 11 to about 23. Around the age of 23, uh, we went to go visit my grandparents who lived up in Colorado Springs, just wonderful uh, Christian uh, people. My grandfather had been a pastor and elder for many years. They were missionaries, so my dad grew up in Ecuador. And so I, I grew up running around a soccer field. He's a soccer coach. And so um, just a lot of fun memories and background with all of that. But uh, went up to their home, and the Lord really used the testimony of my grandparents to help me to see that the Bible was true. At that time in my life, I wanted $10 million, a red Ferrari, and a castle. I just thought, you know, hey, you know, might as well set your ambitions high, okay, to some degree. That's, that's sincerely what I thought would make me happy and what I was kind of searching after. You know, money really was what my life was all about. And so, you know, I was doing wells and sales, had not gone to college, but when the Lord really got a hold of my heart through the testimony of my grandparents, which really stood out, I could see a distinct difference in how they responded to life, and I was just not familiar with that at all. My grandma one time just responded so humbly, graciously, servant-heartedly. I literally thought immediately afterwards that that was not human. I mean, that was my first thought, because I knew a bunch of humans, and none of them had ever responded that way and was just really encouraged. I knew that came from the truth of God's word, my, par- my grandparents' love for Jesus and their desire right, to grow and to apply and understand the scriptures. And so many months after that, the Lord continued to work in my heart, and he eventually used Matthew 7, 14 and 15, just to really get a hold of me. It's the broad and narrow road. At that time in my life, I was still very much and very obviously on that broad path, kind of doing whatever I wanted. I was Lord of my life. But the Lord had other plans, thankfully, and I think led me to repentance just that evening. I don't think I fully understood the gospel at that point. And so I called my grandparents and uh, told them I wanted to follow the Lord. I was a little nervous to call them because, you know, when you go to see your grandparents, you, know, you usually kind of fake it, you know, to some degree, you know, if, if that's the truth. And uh, they said, Daniel, we knew. I was a little nervous. I, did, I, I was kind of concerned. They'd be like, oh, all these years you weren't really a Christian? And uh, they were like, oh, we knew. You know, it's pretty... It was pretty obvious. And um, so, uh, so, yeah, but they were just so gracious and kind, encouraging. They sent me a track, and I read that, and that's really when I first came to understand uh, my sin, uh, what Jesus Christ had done, the fact that I needed to trust him, not myself, not my own works, anything like that. And so the Lord uh, saved me and changed my heart. My life began to really radically change from that point, felt compelled to be trained, and so I went to go get a business degree and eventually found myself in Southern California at the Master's University and was a business major, had a 7.30 a.m. tax accounting class, which, you know, there might be some tax accountants in here, but that was not my favorite subject. And, but I had a 9.40 biblical counseling class and just was blown away. It was so impactful, so encouraging. 
I was so excited about the truths just uh, coming from a, a divorced family where there was a lot of impact of sin, okay, in people's responses and graciously and kindly and many other consequences of sin. I was just so excited about the sufficiency of the Word of God. And so I, from there, went to seminary and met my wife. Uh, we have three wonderful kids, uh, Annabelle, Elliot, and Ruth, who are seven, five, and two. So we're, you know, currently in that, you know, chasing them around uh, stage. So it's what a wonderful period of our, our, you know, young family life as well, too. My wife's there in the back if you guys haven't been able to meet her. Yeah, she'll be here kind of at the very beginning of our time. But uh, to keep young kids here for three, uh, you know, uh, sessions is, uh, is, is kind of challenging. So uh, she'll be taken off here in a little bit to go grab them, pick them up. But, but yeah, so uh, along that, I started working at the Masters University in their biblical counseling department and just loved everything related to really just practical Christian living. What does God call us to in particular? And how can we help people who are suffering from other people's sin, the curse in the world, or maybe even their own sin as well too, or some mixture of all of those. And so, uh, yeah, eventually once I finished school, I had been serving in seminary at the University of Southern California, and so started really counseling in college ministry a little over 10 years ago, and just saw uh, God's blessing on that ministry and just enjoyed it so much. And once I finished school, started working at Grace Community Church as well as the Masters University, uh, serving more full-time in counseling ministry. And so basically when I got hired, I just asked my boss kind of what he wanted me to do, and he said, well, just counsel members and regular tenders. And I said, well, I'm already counseling this person, this person, this person. Is that, is that fine? And so basically uh, it was really wonderful because I just got paid for doing what I was already doing anyways in ministry. And so I've been counseling people, like I said, for a little over 10 years, something like that. And eventually, in 2019, ran into Rocky, who I know many of you guys remember and know very well. He's going to be a speaker at our conference again here coming up in just a few weeks. But I thought I was going to meet him at Shepherd's Conference. He was going to say hello. We'd talk about a time in the future that we'd kind of catch up a little more and, and get to know about ministry and things like that. Well, uh, he said, let's sit down now. And we began to have a conversation, which I realized after about five minutes that into the conversation that he was interviewing me. And uh, so after being a little terrified and realizing if I blow this, this is probably it. And I had no preparation whatsoever. And so, uh, you know, just prayed. And, uh, but it was a great conversation, very encouraging. Uh, we came out to Countryside and, and have now been at Countryside for almost five years. June will be five years. So it's gone by very, very quickly, it seems. So very thankful, love what I do here. I spend most of my week meeting with people, and so walking through marital conflict, discouragement, depression, issues with anger, I mean, all, all uh, OCD-type struggles, those type symptoms, any, most anything you can think about uh, has, has come through our church counseling. And um, but yeah, so I, I do that. Then also, too, of course, we, we train. We all believe that it's not just pastors, elders, okay, that shepherd, that encourage, that speak in truth into the lives of the church. It's all of us. It's pastors and teachers training, equipping all of, all of us, okay, as attenders, as church members, how to do the work of the ministry, right? How we can speak truth into our own heart, into the lives of other people as well, too. So I love what I do. I'm very interested, excited, really, about this class and how it's going to impact, I trust, your guys' lives and ministries as well, too. Uh, the fact that in all the different troubles and difficulties that sin has brought into our world, that to know that the Word of God 
has the answers, right? The solutions, the encouragement, the correction, okay? The wisdom that we really truly need is exciting, right? It's encouraging. So I'm thankful for you guys again being here and uh, looking forward to all that God will ultimately do. As we get started, let me go ahead and just open up with a word of prayer, then we'll jump into our notes. Father, we're so thankful for your goodness, your kindness, uh, and your son, Jesus Christ, to each and every single one of us. Lord, we pray and we ask just your, your grace upon our time, Lord, that it would abound to your glory and honor. That's the purpose of our whole lives. It's the purpose of what we're doing now, but I pray, Lord, too, that very practically the way that would work out, Lord, is that we would be sharpened and strengthened to more uh, consistently, to know your will, to honor you, Lord, in, in our hearts, in our lives, and in the, the people's lives that we impact as well, too, with our words. So, Lord, I pray, God, your help, Lord, as I teach, and communicate your word, your truth, and also, too, as, as those who have come, as we've prayed for them, would be able to receive these things. God, be encouraged and shaped as you desire. We love you and pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, if you have your notes, I'm going to start right at the need of biblical counseling, the need of biblical counseling. Then we're going to look at the definition of biblical counseling. So most days, just so you know, I'll have a little more notes than probably I can really thoroughly get through. And so if I speak quickly, that might partially be the reason, or if I skip some certain sections, hopefully those are ones you can go back and look over. But as we look at the need of biblical counseling, we want to look at the big picture of Scripture. And so we're going to start with understanding the counselor. And to do that, let's look at Genesis chapter 1 and look at the story of the first ever counsel given. The first ever counsel given. I trust you're familiar with Genesis 1.1. Let me read it. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And just the context here, this really is a summary statement of all that follows in the first chapter. That is, the, the six days of creation, that is how God specifically created okay, the world and everything that we know that exists. And as God walks through these different days, we see a similar format. We see evening and morning okay, that separates these six distinct days. And this format's followed until the sixth day. And on the sixth day, God changes gears. He does something a little bit different in that he speaks okay, to his creation. He counsels his creation. So let me read for you verse 26 through verse 28. He says, so on the sixth day, then God said, let us make man in our image and according to our likeness and let him rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created man. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. Then God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the face of the earth. And so we see the story really of the first ever counsel given. Okay, God speaks okay, to us okay, as, as his creation, as, as human beings, and so he speaks to them. And notice also, too, what time period we are in relation to the fall. This is before Genesis chapter 3. This is before sin. 
Okay, God gives us his counsel, his wisdom to direct our lives. And so at the outset of our study, what we want to know and what we want to understand, what's the point, in other words, is that God is the counselor. God is the counselor. It is not us telling God what he should do. It's not us telling others what they should do. It's God, the creator, counseling us, right? Counseling mankind. In Isaiah 9:6, God is spoken of as the wonderful counselor. Or Isaiah 40, verse 13, poses this question. Who comprehends the mind of the Lord or gives him instruction as his counselor? And of course, the answer to that is no one, since God knows all things and is holy, and so therefore he would never need to be aware or made aware of something that he does not know, and he would never need to change anything, right? He is perfect. And so again, at the outset here, God is the counselor. And so this is vital to understand because only his counsel is truly sufficient as our creator to provide authoritative direction for our lives, to provide authoritative direction for our lives. Let's look at understanding the counselee. The counselee at this point is clear. It's us. <clears throat> and a helpful question, I think, to answer is this, is why does God speak to us, okay, to human beings, but not the other aspects of his creation, right? Isn't that interesting, right? God changed gears. He didn't speak to rocks or trees or stars. Maybe some of that's obvious, okay, to some degree. But why does he speak to us? Okay. I believe that the reason, the answer, at least in part, is because that the other parts of creation did not need God's counsel in order to glorify him. Other parts of creation did not need God's counsel to glorify him. The rocks, the stars, the trees, all of those things glorify God simply by being rocks and stars and trees. Psalm 19 says this, the heavens declare the glory of God, right? Just by being what they are, we can see his power, his creativity, his magnificence in the things that God has made. But we, on the other hand, need God's counsel. We certainly glorify God by being who we are, right? who God's made us to be, certainly. But additionally, we need the counsel of God to direct our lives ultimately so that we can glorify God as he intends. And so how do we know that? It's one way to argue this or say this is that 1 Corinthians 10.31, which many of you know, it says whether we eat or whatever we do, do it all for the glory of God. But we can say, how do we know? How do we live for the glory of God? Well, the way we do that is that he's told us, he's given us his instructions on how we can glorify him. A few points of application, just to think about this, is that we need, okay, as we prepare to be counselors, okay, even to counsel ourselves in particular, we need to be good, right, first and foremost, we need to be good counselees. And so number one, we need to meditate on the word of God, right, his counsel for the purpose of understanding and applying it. Psalm 1 is an excellent picture of that. This uh, righteous man dwells and meditates and thinks upon the word of God so that it shapes his life, his thinking, and the direction okay, in which he lives. Number two, another way we can apply this in thinking about being good counselees is to be humble 
knowing from whom the counsel comes, and in our continuous need to grow in wisdom, right? We, we don't know everything, right? How many times, even in the intellectual powers, okay? I mean, we're all very intelligent, okay, to some degree or another. How many times have we missed something, okay, or failed? And so we need to have a soft heart, okay, a soft, uh, moldable heart to God's counsel. And we could look at it this way. If, God, if Adam would, had been proud, okay, he would not have obeyed God initially. Okay, he said to cultivate and keep the garden. Adam would have said, hey, that's a, that's a great idea. You know, but I really would like to be an explorer. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and carve out a canoe. Thank you, God, for that suggestion. I'm going to go ahead and do whatever I'd like to do. Okay, it wouldn't have impacted Adam. Okay, without humility, we ultimately will not listen to counsel, either from God or from others. And so the importance of this idea is this. It, again, if we're not good, if we're not a good counselee, then we will not be a good counselor. If God's word has not shaped and fashioned our hearts, our minds, our thinking, then it's going to be hard and impossible to be able to speak truth to ourselves and to help other people as well, too, until that's happened. And so questions to ask ourselves I think are helpful. Do we listen right, to what God is saying through his word? Right? Do the Sunday sermons, okay, do they make an impact in the way we think and the way we live? They challenge us and encourage us and help us in that way. Do we listen to the truth that God might be trying to communicate to us through others? Are we constantly pursuing God faithfully in our devotion so that we're continually counseled by the Word of God? I think lastly here is that we should be encouraged in the sufficiency of God's Word and counsel, and, and that's where we're going to turn here in just a second. And so again, why do we need biblical counseling? Why do we need discipleship? It's, it's so that we can have the wisdom we need to glorify and honor God. One of my favorite verses, just to conclude this, is Proverbs 3, verse 5. Read that for us. Proverbs 3, 5 through 8, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. So hopefully that's an encouragement as we just think about really truly the need of biblical counseling. We need, again, God's counsel to glorify him. Let's look now at understanding, that C, understanding the sufficiency of God's counsel. And so in a moment we'll define what biblical counseling is, but before we do that, it's important to clarify what the Bible, that is what God's counsel specifically is sufficient for. Another way to answer this question is, is God's word sufficient okay, to address our problems, okay, the problems of people? And so to do that, kind of think through that, we're going to start with number one, defining the origin of our problems. To answer this question, we first need to define where our problems which drive us to need counsel come from biblically. Okay, where do those problems come from? Ultimately, the answer okay, is sin. Why do we need counsel? Right, what is the problem? Okay, where do those things come from that, that drive us to need counsel? Well, the ultimate answer is sin. Certainly, too, God gives counsel in Genesis chapter 1, and so there's, you know, ignorance can be one of the reasons why we might, why we might need counsel. We might not know okay, God's will or word, but ultimately the answer is sin. That's the problem. 
And of course, I'm not trying to oversimplify the answer. Think about it this way. Before Genesis 3, before there was sin, there was no pride, selfishness, and therefore no conflict or fighting with others or sinful anger. Honestly, I don't, I don't think there was anger at all because there was nothing evil. There was nothing bad at all. Adam and Eve loved each other and God without blemish, and everything was, as Genesis 1 says, very good. Moreover, death enters because of sin. Okay, and so before this, there was no illness, disease, or anything else that could ultimately bring death. Therefore, there was nothing bad. And if there was nothing bad, there was no reason okay, to feel mad or sad or any other sort of negative emotion ultimately. But then came sin and all that's bad and that could hurt and harm right, entered into the picture. And so if all that's wrong with our world is a symptom of sin, as we can see here, then why would we go to Freud or Maslow okay, or Skinner or Oprah okay, or Dr. Phil okay, or whoever right, we might go look to wisdom from or someone else other than the one who's promised ultimately to save us from our sin? And so again, the answer to what the problem or what the origin of our problems is, is it sin and the bad things that come into our world, into our lives personally because of it. Let's look now at defining the solution to our problems. In Genesis 3, okay, just after sin okay, comes into the world, into Adam and Eve's hearts, a part of their experience now in life, they, they now knew evil. Okay? The Lord so graciously makes a promise in verse 15 that there would be a one who would come in the future to crush the head of the serpent. You guys remember that promise. Think about how offensive that time would be for the Lord, okay, to be sinned against in that way. But he gives them hope, okay, and he points towards the Redeemer, right, somebody who would come, and he had a plan all along ultimately, right, a gracious plan to redeem and save all of us. And in, in Matthew 1.21, Jesus has said that this is the one who would come, that he came to save his people, from their sins. And so we, we see this realized, okay, this person, this snake crusher that was going to come and save us from our sins, the very problem, okay, that engender counseling. And so Jesus is our Savior, and this is part of what the ministry of biblical counseling really is all about. There is much suffering and difficulty in our world, and God provides comfort and encouragement and hope. And we ourselves, because of our sin, can often be a part of the problem, and Christ provides salvation not just from the penalty of our sin, okay, and justification through the life and death and burial and resurrection of Jesus, but also from sin's power and its presence, like its destructive power and presence in our lives and in the lives of other people as well, too. Jesus prayed in his high priestly prayer in John 17, verse 17. He says, sanctify them by your word. Your word is truth. And so the counsel of God can transform, it can save, it can rescue, redeem us in particular. Pretty amazing reality. Two passages also, too, that provide the promise that as Christians we have everything we need, okay, in the Word of God. The first is Second Peter 1, verses 2 and 3. Let me read that. It says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus, of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory 
and excellence. Also, too, we see this in 2 Timothy verse 3, excuse me, chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. It says, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. And so if God's Word provides everything we need for life and godliness and can equip us ultimately for every good work, then it's clear that the Word leads us away from everything that causes the problems that we have in life. That's sin. One other passage I think that makes sufficiency really clear is in Galatians chapter 5. If you want to turn there, Galatians chapter 5. I'll often mention this, uh, mention this passage as I meet with people for the very first time, just depending upon the circumstances. But in verse uh, 16, Paul says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Right? The flesh, okay, you can interpret as sin, okay, this, this problem okay, that we've been talking about. And Paul says, walk by the Spirit. And what that means, ultimately, is that we're to walk okay, by the words the Spirit has inspired. Okay? As God has authored the text of Scripture, okay? or even as Psalm 119, verse 105 reflects, that your word is a light to my path and a lamp to my feet, that we walk according to the word okay, that the Spirit inspired in particular. It fills our minds, our hearts, so that we live according to it, think according to it. And then also, too, it, it means with the Spirit's help, I believe as well, too, that since we can do nothing apart from him, that not only do we walk in the ways, but we also have his help okay, in order to do that as well, too. And here's the thing that's interesting in terms of sufficiency, okay, in terms of is the Bible truly sufficient to address our problems? Look in verse 22. Here's the result, the fruit of walking in the Spirit, walking in the Word of God. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Okay, you guys, just very practically, no one comes to my office because they have too much of any one of these things, right? No, Daniel, I have too much joy. Please help me. You know, I'll say, Let, let's read the news. Okay, we'll, we'll resolve that, okay, really quickly. Okay, but no one ever comes, okay, to my office because they have too much of any one of these things. It is often because they lack these things, they need these things that they come and seek my help, okay, and really God's help, ultimately. And so this is, this is the product, okay, of following God's word and his will in our lives. It resolves, okay, the psychological troubles, difficulties that we have in our hearts. Even more, our culture speaks a lot about mental health. I'm sure you guys have heard that term. It's a pretty common one. But I would say there's, there's no one more mentally healthy, okay, than Jesus Christ. Okay, I think that's true. And we have in the word of God the very mind of Christ. If we want to be mentally healthy, let's say we embrace that term, there's no one more mentally healthy than the person of Jesus. Okay, his thoughts are perfect. His desires, perfect. Emotions, perfect. All of that. Okay, his responses to life, perfect. And so in thinking of all of this, we have a question. It's number three there. Do we need psychology? Do we need psychology? Well, if the purpose of counseling is to glorify God, ultimately the answer is no. Okay, but 
Are there some helpful things? Can we glean something of value? I think the answer is certainly yes. We don't throw the baby out with the bathwater completely. And and this is part of that. Uh, Keith Palmer did a much more thorough presentation not too long ago. So if you want to look up Keith Palmer on the sufficiency of Scripture, he walks through psychology in, I think, a very clear, helpful way and a much more robust way than I can do this morning. But psychology really is a broad discipline. Okay, It's not really psychology, but really psychologies. And so it, it, it goes, in terms of its spectrum, all the way from something that would be, be called a more hard science, really based on facts and data, like the science of learning, okay, for example, all the way over to, to much more theoretical okay, as well, too. And so when we find psychologists that do really good research based on facts and data, one of my, it's something that we can embrace. Okay, one, of my, one of my favorite books is uh, Make It Stick. It's, it's written by or co-authored by 10 different PhD psychologists. We read it when I was going through my training. It's, it's an excellent book. And it just presents research on, on different ways that people learn and how they grasp material. And it's incredibly useful as you think about instruction. And so, but do we have to have those things to glorify God? The answer again is, is no, we don't ultimately have to have those things particularly in the area on the other side of the spectrum, whereas you, you work through and go through what God's word has said, okay, is the problem, what's the solution, etc. And those psychological theories completely contradict, okay, those realities in the Bible. Of course, those are things that we would reject. <clears throat> Number four, application. Just some things to think of. We need to trust God's word. Again, thinking kind of back to Proverbs 3, 5, we need to trust God's word when we encounter problems in our own personal lives, okay, do we, when we encounter difficulties, struggles, do our minds go back to the Word? Okay? Sometimes our mind can go to ice cream, okay, or the need for Netflix, or whatever it may be. Okay? I don't know, uh, not speaking from experience necessarily, but I'm just saying is uh, that can be where we tend to go, things that are comfortable, easy. Okay? We all have, or probably at some point, have done something like that, but do we go to the Word okay, for comfort, encouragement, help in particular? particular? If we do not know God's word well enough to find answers, then certainly we need to talk okay, to somebody who does okay, and to continue to involve ourselves in the regular study of God's word to find those answers. And again, to be encouraged in the sufficient word that God's provided. I think that's so wonderful and encouraging. Many times when people come you know, and they lay out their hearts in counseling, well, the problems and difficulties sometimes that have been in developing for many, many years and, you know, we just have a, a few minutes kind of at the end, and it's important to encourage, to provide hope, okay, in that time, uh, that to, to point to the fact that the Word of God is sufficient, it has the answers. We, we may not be able to talk about every single one of them in one meeting, but to know that the Word of God has the answers is a great encouragement. I've met with thousands of people, and never once have they come and said, Daniel, here's what's going on in my life. Here's the troubles, the difficulties. And for me to say, you know what? God's word doesn't really speak about any of these things. It has nothing really to say, okay, and how you're to navigate and to work through all this. That The very opposite is often the case. I, I can say, you guys, look, if you'll continue to come back in the days ahead, I'd love to continue to work with you because I know God's word has answers, and the truth is I know where they are. 
And so we're going to walk through those. And I trust they're going to be an encouragement. They're going to be a blessing. Okay, and God's word will change your heart, your life, your marriage, okay, or whatever else is going on. Okay. And so to be encouraged, again, in the sufficient word that God has provided. So we've looked at the need of biblical counseling. It's needed to glorify God. Let's look now at the definition of biblical counsel, the definition of biblical counseling. <clears throat> We're going to begin, much like Tom does sometimes as he defines things, by looking at what counseling is not. Okay, what counseling is not. All right, first, biblical counseling is not an autonomous ministry. Biblical counseling is not an autonomous ministry. In other words, the model the Bible lays out for counseling does not follow the common secular model. Therefore, biblical counseling and the way the Bible lays out the practice of counsel and shepherding in general is not isolated from the local church, but instead an essential part of the life of the church body. And so the problem here is when we separate counseling ministry from the church is that biblical counseling that is removed from the church removes itself from its God-ordained benefits okay, inherent in the local church. And so one of those would be the accountability in which the church and its leadership okay, would ultimately provide. Okay, when I meet with people for counseling, I, I can't say, I guess I could, but I, it wouldn't go well for very long. Okay, I can't say whatever I want to say. Okay, there's accountability, and each one of us, too, has that similar accountability as well, too, okay, underneath the authority okay, of the Word of God okay, as we speak amongst one another. Another one, so that's doctrinally. Another one would be financially. Okay? We offer counseling services, thankfully, by God's grace, without any sort of charge. Right? Ministries who are outside of the church, it's a business. Okay? And at times, if things are hard, challenging, difficult, okay, that might, instead of other things that would be important that God would want us to emphasize, might drive okay, their philosophy or their ministry in some sort of way and impact it in a way that God would not be honored by. And so there's protection. Another way is that you're unable to practice church discipline, which I don't love the way. I wish, wish it was called church restoration, okay, or something. I'm not sure that we've found the perfect word for that yet. But that process by which someone is engaged with about something that's causing destruction in their lives, okay, to help them, to minister to them, to restore them in their relationship with Christ and oftentimes with their people, as well, too. Okay, that one-on-one -on -one interaction, that very first step can happen certainly outside of the church. But what about brothers and sisters who might know that person who could come alongside to, to listen okay, to what was being discussed and to weigh in, hopefully in a helpful, compassionate, gracious way to really minister to and again restore that person? That can't happen okay, at all. And so again, counseling that removes itself from the local church removes itself from the God-ordained benefits of the local church. And so again, when the Bible talks about counseling, it, it talks about it happening within a local church. And not only for the reasons mentioned above, but primarily because counseling is a shepherding responsibility, okay, foremost given to pastors and elders. And so as you look at the Ephesians 4 model, like we talked about earlier, God gifts men in verse 11, okay, apostles, prophets, pastor teachers, etc., gifts these men to do the work of the ministry. And what that work is, is to equip the body, okay, of believers, like we're doing right now, 
to do the work of the ministry. And so it begins there. And so all that training is to be done within the context, within the body life, okay, of the church. And so that idea that counseling happens as an autonomous ministry, right, that it's not or no longer shepherding, okay, happening within the local church is an idea for in the Bible. Number two, biblical counseling is also not an activity uh, reserved for experts. Okay, far too many people have given this uh, counseling kind of a Gnostic flavor. It's very common. I want to speak to a professional. Okay, maybe you guys have heard that statement before. But what we're advocating for here and what the Bible teaches, we believe, is a model that any believer willing to be like a Berean can ultimately follow. And so a mature Christian can be equipped to give biblical counsel. And so counseling, therefore, biblically speaking, is not a field reserved only for those with a PhD in sociology okay, or psychology. Turn over to Romans 15, and I'll show you one example of this. J. Adams wrote a book on this text that John MacArthur wrote, uh, read many years ago, back in the 80s, that really transformed his thinking. Okay, and, and it led uh, MacArthur and the board at the Master's University to remove their psychology department and put in a biblical counseling department because the truth is here. And, and so in verse uh, 14, so Romans 15, verse 14, it says, In concerning you, my brethren, Paul has just exhorted the Roman believers whom he had not met. And so I think he encourages them here in their maturity as well, too. He says, I myself am also convinced, not just me needing to counsel you, but that you yourselves are full of goodness and filled with all knowledge and able also to admonish one another. That word admonish could be trans translated counsel, okay, to correct. It's the word nuthetea, which we're going to look at here a little bit more later. And so these, these believers were filled with goodness, right? They loved each other. They loved each other. And then they knew the word of God, and so they were, in Paul's eyes, now able. Okay, that word able okay, depicts a continued practice okay, that gets sharpened over time. Or that they were now able to practice it and to get better and better so that they could counsel each other. And this is speaking about the entirety of the Roman congregation. And so God's expectation, again, that it happens within the context of a local church. Okay, Again, our churches are bigger, okay, and spread apart, okay, but ultimately that. And then also, to one that happens amongst each other, not just with somebody who's a, quote, professional. And so then the one who knows God's word, who's had his word shape his character or their character, can develop competency to counsel others biblically. And so it's not just reserved for experts. The goal here is the new counseling, okay, that honors the Lord, that honors the Lord. Number three, biblical counseling is not an optional ministry. There's a lot of those in the church, you know, the Sunday evening potluck, the coffee shop, or maybe the ski trip, okay, are optional ministries in a sense, in the sense that they are not commanded in the Bible. But counseling, on the other hand, is spoken, spoken of as an essential part, again, of the life of the church. Let me read 1 Thessalonians 2, uh, 10 to 12. You can see part of Paul's ministry here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. So starting at verse 10, 
First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10, says, You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave towards you believers. Just as you know how we were imploring each one of you as a father with his own children, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And so the commentator Leon Morris explains this passage this way. He said, He, Paul, had not contented himself with giving the message in general terms okay, to the Thessalonian public at large, but had been sufficiently interested in individuals to bring it home to them one by one, evidently in private conversations. One other Bible version translates this text this way, how we dealt with each one of you personally. And so this captures Paul's ministry okay, and the importance of it. Okay, as a father with his own children, he came alongside individually to, to teach and to counsel and to help each one. Acts 20, verse 20 and verse 31 as well too speaks about that same type ministry. Spoke of Ephesians 4 earlier, just for the sake of time, we won't go back there. But um, in verse 15 it says, actually, you know what, let's go there. It's helpful. We didn't really read it earlier, so let's do that. We're just really close to it here. Ephesians 4. So we talked about verse 11 earlier. He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors, teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, the building up of the body of Christ. Then to go down to verse 14, but as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the uh, trickery of men, by, the, uh, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being filled or fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part as it causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. And so we can see that speaking the truth of love is an essential part okay, of the correct functioning of Christ's body, first from church leaders in verse 11, and then in the whole body, okay, amongst all of ourselves in verse 16 as well too. And so the Bible speaks of counseling not as an optional ministry, but again as an essential part of the life of the church. Number four, biblical counseling is not an entity separate from discipleship. You guys may have noticed that we called or titled the class uh, Countryside uh, Discipleship Counseling. Okay, I know that's CDC. Uh, get that. We're not going to make you mask up, okay, so don't worry. Um, but we chose that very specifically and uniquely, okay, because okay, I think biblical counseling started out by, by calling itself Nuthetic Counseling. Uh, no one really knew what that meant. It's a Greek word. And, uh, or, or some others have called it expository counseling, okay, expositional counseling. We would probably know exactly what that means. But then really, biblical counseling kind of it, it rested upon that for a while. But many churches call their ministries biblical counseling, whether or not it's based upon the sufficient word of God or not. It's integrated. Okay? It's, I mean, what are you going to call it? The unbiblical counseling you know, ministry is not going to, doesn't really go well. Okay? So everybody kind of calls it that. Biblical counseling. And so we wanted to call it discipleship counseling to make it distinct and unique. Okay? And I hope clear okay, for what we are trying to accomplish in each other's lives as we counsel. And so biblical counseling, it's called this discipleship counseling because counseling is an intensive, focused form 
of discipleship. As we counsel, we are discipling. Biblical counsel will focus, therefore, on both the general and the specific, okay, based on the needs of the person that we counsel. And so when I meet with somebody, they're, they're coming for help with anger or marriage conflict or whatever it is. And so we certainly will address those specific ways that they need to grow. Maybe they need to be more gracious, forgiving, etc. But also, too, are they, are they in the Word? Are they reading their Bible? What's their prayer life look like? How are they pursuing Christ also, too, in a general way, week by week? Right? That builds on and impacts the specific, okay, the needs that they have today in counseling as well, too. And so since it's discipleship, we want to focus okay, on both of those things as well, too, to help them and encourage them. All right, here's a definition that will help hopefully clarify and help kind of understand how discipleship and counseling overlap so clearly and kind of help you see where they fit exactly. So here's a definition of discipleship. Brad Clausen and I wrote this together a number of years ago for the men's ministry, so you'll see some words in there focusing on, on the men, but it applies to all of us as Christians. It says, the process of Christian discipleship happens when a more mature believer in biblical knowledge, character, and practice invests in another less mature but faithful believer through loving instruction of biblical truth alongside a godly example for the purpose of helping them to conform to the teaching and character of Jesus Christ. Discipleship will therefore focus on two priorities. They are emboldening Christians in the standard of sound doctrine or belief, and emboldening Christians in the standard of sound living or action. And so as we think about this definition, counseling happens on a broad scale from the pulpit on Sundays all the way down to one-on-one relationships. And so to think about it this way is the ministry or this idea of discipleship, okay, really begins with a pulpit because that's the broadest. Okay, that, that pulpit ministry that Tom has hits everyone ultimately. Then probably the next more uh, broadest one is Sunday schools. Okay, they hit a, a large section. Okay, there may be home fellowships, Titus II, men's and women's ministries, things like that, all the way down to partners where it's just one-on-one. Okay, and then probably on the far end of the scale from preaching is the ministry of counseling in particular, where instead of a general audience speaking truths from Scripture, it's talking about a person's individual life, but all of these things fall under this same goal, this same desire okay, of discipleship in particular. And so the church as a whole, therefore, is responsible, okay, from Tom down to each and every single one of us, to help each other grow in Christ-likeness or discipling by confronting sin, practicing the one another's, and using our spiritual gifts in an active and purposeful way day by day. Counseling, just as a brief definition here, we'll look at a more thorough one here in a second, but counseling is a subset of discipleship. It is, in other words, a part of discipleship, or the part, that focuses on a specific problem in a person's life that has compelled them to seek help formally or informally. And so biblical counseling is the process where God's word, his counsel, is related individually in love and in the power of the Holy Spirit to a person who is struggling under the weight of sin and or suffering so that he or she is uh, equipped practically to please God and be faithful in response to all that's going on in their lives. So hopefully that helps you guys kind of see how discipleship and counseling fits together, how 
counseling really is a subset of the larger ministry of discipleship. Number five, biblical counseling is not an activity that is unsensitive or insensitive or uncaring. Turn over to Matthew chapter 14. As I think about the shepherding ministry of Christ, I am reminded and encouraged just with thinking about our pastor, Tom. Uh, I'm excited really about his uh, opportunity to speak at ACBC because that's really the, the heart okay, of, of what they're going to be talking about is the shepherding ministry of Christ. Tom is such an excellent and wonderful example of compassion, care, interest, okay, engagement. It's, it's such an encouragement. And as you look at Jesus, okay, in particular, and see who he is, it really is, is so challenging and helpful as we think about the ministry of discipleship counseling. Okay? Again, it's not an activity that's insensitive or uncaring. And so in, in Matthew 14, okay, the, the, the quick context here is the death of, uh, really the murder of John the Baptist. Okay? That would have been a, a close friend, okay, a ministry companion. It was his forerunner who Isaiah foretold all those years ago, it would have been very hard and challenging. And so John the Baptist is, is murdered, and in verse 12, his disciples, that's John the Baptist's, came and took away the body and buried it, and they went and reported it to Jesus. Verse 13, when Jesus heard about John, he withdrew from there in a boat, a secluded place by himself. Okay, he wanted to be alone. All right, it was, again, like I said, it was hard. It would have been challenging and difficult, overwhelming, maybe even. But it says, and when the people heard of this, right, they followed him on foot to the cities. And when he went ashore, he saw the large crowd. Okay, it wasn't this private, secluded place. Okay, that he was he was kind of hoping for. And Jesus said, "Be gone with all of you." Please, no, I'm kidding. He didn't say any of that. Okay, he he felt compassion for all of them. All right, I mean, it would have been nice. I was going to change you know, what the people did to say they were sensitive, okay, to Jesus and gave him some time, okay, to think through it. But that's not what happened, okay? Jesus got out of the boat. He was hoping to get away. And all of a sudden, all the people with all these different needs and burdens and difficulties came. And the way that his heart personally responded to that wasn't with frustration, okay, or sadness or disappointment or self-pity. It was with compassion. He saw their needs and his heart was moved, okay, to minister to them and serve them in particular. And so as we think about counseling, this is exactly the same heart that we have as people come, as there's difficulties and challenges and hurts in their lives, to have a heart that is moved, okay, with the things that burden, that move, that are difficult in their lives as well, too. I love another verse that highlights this. It's 1 Peter 5, 7. It says, cast your cares upon the Lord, for he cares for you. I think many of us know that verse. We've used it. It's encouraged us many times. But why does, why does Peter say this? He says it because God cares. Why, why do we know that when we come to God with our cares, that he cares? Well, it says, right? Anything that really burdens our hearts, God is going to care about those things as well, too. And so we see the heart of God compassionate, and caring, not insensitive, certainly, or indifferent to people. And just to say it clearly, really what I'm saying is that we're not qualified for the ministry of counseling until we care, until we're moved with compassion, 
okay? And so this is Christ-like ministry. This is the ministry of biblical counseling. It is a ministry, certainly, where we bear the burdens of other people, of the distresses, the difficulties, the immaturities, where they are at in life, and to come alongside them compassionately with where they are at and to help them, to encourage them, right, to move forward as they seek to honor and serve and love and glorify God, and in that, resolve the problems and difficulties they face. So we looked at what biblical counseling is not. Let's look at what biblical counseling is. What biblical counseling is. Colossians 1, verse 28 and 29 summarize this. So let me read that for us. So Colossians 1, verse 28, 29, it says, We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor and striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. And and this has often been applied to preaching, but I, I really do believe that what this is doing is summarizing the ministry of the word whether it be in a public setting or whether it be in a private setting as well, too. It's, it's defining what we should do as disciples, as counselors, okay? And it sets our goals and what we're striving towards apart from psychology and even much of what is called Christian counseling today, since our goal is not primarily therapeutic, okay? Certainly, biblical counseling will often help this way. It'll be an encouragement. It'll help us to feel better, Okay, give us peace, joy, etc., like we talked about earlier. But our goal primarily, as we think about the ministry of counseling, is not man-centered primarily. It's going to be God-centered. Okay. We have here a definition, a more thorough, comprehensive definition of biblical counseling. I think you guys have that in your notes. Is that right? I'm going to let you read that. It is very thorough. It's helpful. I think what we already read in terms of a definition is is clear. You guys can read that as well too, just in the interest of time. I'm going to give a high summary of the definition. Uh, We could go back to Ephesians 4.15 and summarize or define the ministry of biblical counseling this way. It's speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love. And all of what that means is what we're going to seek to really understand as we think about what biblical counseling is. And so number one, like we mentioned a moment ago, biblical counseling is God-centered. It's, it's God-centered in that it is centered on His Word, His Spirit, and His Son. So biblical counseling is focused on the Word of God and the God of the Word. As we approach counseling, we remember that God is, again, the counselor. And so if we are to speak the truth in love, we have to say, where does truth come from? And ultimately, who is love? It certainly is not us. And so therefore, we should not counsel others with our wisdom or preferences or any other human reasoning as 1 Corinthians says, the wisdom of men is ultimately foolishness to God. All counseling systems ultimately begin with a source of truth, and ours has to be God, or it changes everything we do, really everything we say, okay, as counselors. Why is that true, though? All counseling systems have to interpret what's going on in a person's life, okay? Some systems would say it's karma, okay? Well, why did bad things happen? Well, because you did bad things, okay, for example, Counseling systems have to have convictions on what they believe about people, what's wrong, who's responsible. They have to choose a goal or goals for a person. Okay, oftentimes in our culture, it's being normal, okay, whatever that may mean okay, to that person. Uh, 
Counseling systems have to determine a means also to, to get that person from where they are to reach that goal. Okay, they have a methodology. Okay, and so I think there's about six different ones that uh, a friend of mine has kind of determined. It's that to help kind of categorize or clarify counseling systems, there's authority. Okay, just off the top of my head, uh, authority. There's the problem. There's salvation or the solution in particular. Okay, there's the means of change. There's who does the counseling, okay, the experts potentially, and then also to apologetics, okay, the defense, okay, as they work through that system. And as we look at okay, the, the counseling room, for counseling to be biblical, God's word has to define all of these elements in any other aspect of the counseling relationship in which God's word speaks to. It has to define it all, and it ultimately does. And we'll look at that more, of course, in the coming weeks. And this could only be possible if God's word truly speaks to all these issues to sufficiently provide help to those we counsel. We've talked about that. It certainly, certainly does. So biblical counseling must be God-centered. Biblical counseling is also neuthetic. Okay, we talked about that word a little bit ago. Uh, I read you guys Romans 15, 14, if you remember. And it's that word admonish or instruct. It's that same Greek word, okay, neutheteo. And it's, it's actually two Greek words. The first one is now, so it means mind. And then the second verb that's put together to make this compound Greek word is to put into the mind. And that is to place or to put sense into the mind when you combine those two words together. And so we say, whose sense is this? Of course, it's God's. And so you could exchange this word, sense, okay, with truth to help make the meaning clear. It's to put truth Okay, to put God's sense into the mind. And so as Paul uses that word, to, uh, Christians are, are counseling others. They have the ability to do that because they love each other and they know the word of God. They are putting God's truth into the mind. They're teaching others about the word. Okay, they're helping them. And so a biblical counselor is trying to help those that counsel understand their context of life and their particular problem from God's vantage point and in doing so, to adjust their thoughts and desires, to be like God's thoughts and desires, simply put, it's to think biblically okay, about themselves, their circumstances, their context. So biblical counseling or discipleship counseling is teaching others to think and live biblically by teaching God's word. And so biblical counseling is neuthetic. It places God's sense into the mind. Number three, biblical counseling also discerns desires and thinking and behavior that God wants to change. As counselors, we have to know people. We have to know where they're coming from and what's going on in their heart. That is what they're thinking and what they want in any particular situation that has brought them to counseling. Okay, let's say, for example, that we have that, that what's brought them to counseling is a conflict. Okay, you guys may be familiar with James chapter 4. It talks about the source. Okay, what's the source of conflicts and quarrels among you? Well, it explains ultimately that it's it's our strong desires. It says you lust and do not have, and so you fight and quarrel. And so as we think about biblical counseling, it discerns desires and thinking and behavior that God wants to change. It's not just focused on the external. Okay, we can be tempted to do that. You know, we see our kids arguing or whatever, and we just say, stop doing that. Be kind. You know, give that toy to that person. We fix it and give appropriate discipline, and we just kind of move on. We don't actually resolve the root, okay, the, the reasons behind the thinking and the desires, okay, that led to that conflict. And so as 
we think about the ministry of biblical counseling, we want to discern the thinking and desires. We want to help those people not just to know some of the externally behavioral type of things that they need to change and grow in. Certainly that's true as well too. But we want to address their thinking and desires that caused the conflict as well. And so again, biblical counseling discerns desires and thinking and behavior that God wants to change as well too. Number four, biblical counseling uses God's word by the Holy Spirit to change desires, thinking, and behavior. In Ephesians 4, Tom has just finished reading through that in our, our worship service. And if you guys remember that, it says in verse 17, okay, that we're no longer to walk as the Gentiles. Okay, and so there's, there's a desire okay, that we change and that we grow. Okay, obviously, that's transformed. All of us have changed since coming to know Christ, but he's encouraging us to continue. We're, we're no longer to walk in that way if we've learned Christ. And so in verse 22, he says to put off the old man and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and then to put on the new man, which has been created okay, in the likeness of Christ. And so we're to grow and change right, through the process that God has ultimately given us. And so we want to change desires, we want to change thinking and behavior through that process as God's word renews our minds, helps us to understand what to put off, okay, and what to replace that with in particular, okay, that righteous action. So if we're lying, to put off lying, to put off telling falsehoods, and to put on the truth, okay, with the right motive for being able to do that. And so we'll talk more about that in the future, but it's God, again, biblical counseling uses God's word by the Holy Spirit to change desires, thinking, and behavior. Number five, biblical counseling also regularly calls the Christian to be God's kind of man or woman in the midst of their circumstances. Again, another way to say this is we're trying to live for the glory of God, right? As, as people come in, this is ultimately what sets biblical counseling apart from other counseling systems. Because our, our system is God-centered, Christ-centered for the glory of God. Our goal is not, in other words, primarily to rescue people from their problems, first and foremost. Okay? Many times it helps with those, of course. But the goal, first and foremost, is to help people to be God's kind of man or woman within the circumstance that they're in. Sometimes living for the Lord makes our situation worse. Right? You might be at work. Okay? And living for Christ in the accounting department there is not something that helps business. Okay? And so there's persecution or whatever it may be. And so counseling isn't first and foremost okay, about therapy, about feeling better, okay? getting and achieving our life goals or dreams. It's about honoring Christ. It's about honoring Christ. And so we want people, and I say this regularly as I meet with people, that we want to help you to be God's kind of man or woman, okay, in the circumstances that you find yourself, okay? If it's in a conflict, or it's in a hard work circumstance, or it's, it's in an unbelieving marriage, or a marriage to an unbeliever, or whatever it may be, right, to live out God's purpose and desire for you. Our hearts can be so easily set on getting rid of the problem, the trouble, the difficulty, that that's, that can be our focus. We have to focus on being God's kind of man or woman. That's God's desire, his heart, ultimately, for us. The last one, number six. Biblical counseling also seeks the sanctification of the Christian into Christ's likeness for the glory of God. I still remember 
that very first biblical counseling class that I had at the Master's University. And uh, the, the professor, who was Ernie Baker, who came uh, not too long ago to our church to teach on the heart, he taught that class, and a lot of his slides, he used stick figures. You know, I'm not really you know, sure. Hopefully he's updated those uh, by now. But when I was, he had this stick figure like, that represented us, and he had this arrow pointing, and then this big like pow symbol that they kind of used to use in the, the Batman, you know, the old Batman films, if you guys remember those. And uh, it just had the person and his goal being Christ-likeness. And I just remember, you know, as a, as a two-year-old believer, just being shocked and learning and understanding that that's really the goal of my life in particular as a Christian was the same goal that I'd have amidst any problem or difficulty that I might find myself in as well too. And so as, as we think about biblical counseling, it seeks to grow and change us, okay, to be like Christ for the glory of God. And it centers around worship. This idea centers around who Christ ultimately is. The last passage we'll go to, and I'm not going to make you turn there just in time. We're almost out here. Is in 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says that, that we are being transformed. Okay, as we behold the glory of the Lord, that we are being transformed okay, from one level of glory to another. Okay, through the Lord, okay, the Spirit's help, okay, ultimately. And so why is that? We'll talk a lot more about this in the, in the, the weeks to come okay, as we talk about the heart. But you guys, as we look at the glory of God, okay, just think about the times you've been reading the Bible and you see how, how Jesus responds, like we did a moment ago in Matthew 14, for example. Okay, it is superior it's glorious. We never look at the Bible, see Jesus, and say, oh, you know, what I'm doing is a little better, you know, than that. No, we say what he's doing, how he's thinking, how he's interacting is amazing and wonderful, and we say, I want to be just like that. And so we strive to lay hold of that as we see the glory of God in the scripture, that's our responsibility. And as we involve ourselves, okay, and draw close to Christ, it's about worship. It's about a personal relationship as well, too. We grow to be more and more like him, to walk closer and closer with him. And so as we grow in Christ-likeness, we grow in relationship with the Lord. And that's really what counseling is all about. We glorify God. Right? We walk faithfully in relationship. Okay? As we encounter difficulties, troubles, discouraging, challenging things, we want to grow in how we relate to the Lord, to love him, to honor him, and to give him praise and glory. As we obey him, right, the only thing that's going to happen as a result of that, with God's help, is that we're going to turn around and tell the Lord thank you right, for all of what he's going to do in and through okay, that faithful obedience. Right. We go ahead and pray. Father, we are so thankful just for our time. We just give you praise and glory uh, for all these different truths. Lord, I pray, Lord, that uh, maybe there's two or three that really stuck out that would be uh, ones that we could go back, think about, Lord, to sharpen, to help us, Lord, to uh, be encouraged, to practice counseling in one way or another, even though we look at more of the specifics later, that, Lord, this, these truths, Lord, we take home where our hearts would be soft, moldable, moldable, and impacted, Lord, by what we've learned today. Lord, I pray, even in the days ahead, as those who are interested, do the reading, 
and uh, other verse memory, things like that, Lord, those resources would be an incredible encouragement as well to you. Lord, we love you, give you praise, and thank you for today. In Jesus' name, amen.